Well, it's official. Now everybody has their own podcast. Run the intro. everybody and welcome to the first actual real episode of King's Chaos. I am your host Kyle Pepitone or the Kingpin of Spades and I'm joined here with my guest Madison. Uh, Madison Hello. why don't you introduce yourself? I am Madison Everett. I am music director at Montclair State University. Uh, I'm a senior. I'm a communications and media arts major and I'm looking to do music business after school and that's kind of it's kind of my oh, role. Cool. I had a show two shows, I think, and that's kind of how I got into radio. And thanks for having me on. You're welcome. So it's no coincidence that I chose you, the head of the music department, to feature in this first episode, because what we're going to be talking about today is how much music is too much music, if there is such a thing as too much music. So I mentioned this in my testing phase of radio, the ADJ test that I had. And I made a joke that the station has 13,000 songs in its music library. And for me, that's basically the normal amount. I have close to 14, 15,000 in two playlists because the Spotify playlist maxes out at 10,000. So I have two playlists full of 15,000 songs. And even for me, I think that is a lot. But Madison, what is your highest number uh, song count playlist? Oh, gosh. Um, I mean, I'll give a little backstory. Like, I used to... So playlists have been one of my favorite things ever and always kind of have been. And that's a big reason that I transferred back to using Spotify. I was an Apple Music person for probably, like, a good few years. Like, that was the first streaming service that I had. And then I think as I started to develop more of a love for music... Um, I changed over to Spotify just because I was happier with the features that they offered. Um, and honestly, in the beginning, I had a lot more songs and playlists than I do now. Truthfully, I feel like the highest, I don't, let me look at, let me add something in here to see (laughs) how much music. I feel like the biggest playlist that I probably have maxes out probably around around like 300 songs three 400 songs um only reason i say that i guess is because my liked songs on spotify are way more like i probably have close to 10,000 or so um but when i started making playlists i would always add so much music like so so much music yeah and i kind of came to this point where the music that i was adding it became so much that it was kind of losing what the playlist was about. Right. Um, okay. Or the way it was supposed to make you feel. Um, so I kind of cut back on that in my later years of having Spotify that nowadays I kind of have um, minimal playlists that have more like smaller amount of songs in them that capture some, uh, an emotion or a place better. Ah, okay. Um, so but you yeah. base most of you like create uh, playlists based on like feelings and emotions and stuff like that. Yeah, like uh, I like to soundtrack my life. I like right. to soundtrack my days. So 
a way for me to easily do that and kind of organize those thoughts and feelings is by creating playlists that have music to pertain to how I want to soundtrack my day. That makes sense. I try doing that. It just doesn't work for me. I, my playlists are split up into a bunch of different things. There's all the songs I listen to. That's the 15,000 ones. Then there's the ones out of those 15,000 I like, which ends up totaling about seven or 8,000 at this point. Mm -hmm. And that's including like, that's 8,000 of the 15,000. And there are some of those 15,000 I haven't even heard yet. So that hum humdingers is that what that one's called. That one's 8,000. It possibly will be more very soon. And then I split up that one into songs that I know the words to titled karaoke because they used to be songs that I sung in the car. But since nobody's really going anywhere anymore, it's kind of just music all around now. Yeah. And that, that one's at like, I want to say like 800. Yeah. But I, that's my thing is like, I mean, music in general is so subjective. And that's yeah. what I love about it is the fact that you can literally bulk out a playlist or you can have it be like four songs. Right. And it's yeah. really a self-expression. So it's like you having, you know, 10,000 songs in a playlist, but that is how your mind works. And that's how you do it. Like, that's what I find so interesting about music in general, but also how people's mind work and, and how they can yeah. construct how they listen to music. Yeah, because a lot of people, like a lot of people that I talk to is like, oh, I have a sad playlist. I have a happy playlist. I have a bad day playlist. I have a mad day playlist. I don't know. <laughs> and then so I'm here like, well, I got songs I know the words to. Uh, yeah. Songs that I know the guitar chords to. I guess would be another one, but like none of the, I don't have a playlist that I like, eh, that was a bad day. Let me put this on to cheer me up. It's like, okay, go into the songs I like, cue up this one, this one, and this one, and I'm good to go. Yeah. yeah. I love that though. And that's interesting. Like, I don't know. I, I love hearing about people, how I like hearing about people's playlists and, and what they kind of come up with. And that's always like kind of my love language in a way is when I do listen to music, like me and my close friends, always send each other playlists like no matter what it is we could just even make them on the spot but i think oh, that's nice. so cool is to be able to come up with something and share yeah. it with another person and convey a meaning or something to them right yeah i, I don't do that much with my friends although i probably should because we would probably like the same amount of music but <laughs> <laughs> i do like i i don't know if it's a bad thing but for those of you who don't know i'm an animation major so i work a, i do a lot of art stuff but I almost feel like the better part of making the playlist is making that playlist cover. Oh, that's my favorite part. Yeah. <laughs> that's like the icing on the cake. Yeah. And now that the music team at the radio station has started doing like the monthly playlist, I've had yeah. like stuff to work with this. Well, for those of you who are listening on the radio, you can't see. And those of you who are watching it later, I'm probably going to have a different background. But what I have as my background right now is the October, no, November playlist that we had to make for the um, radio station music. It doesn't really have a seasonal theme. It's just all a bunch of rock music. But I, I made this playlist like during one of my classes because I was bored and I'm like, hey, this actually turned out good. Yeah, I was going to say, I didn't even realize you used it for like the playlist thing. Yeah. But I like it a lot. Like it's, I mean, for those who are watching this, like it's a cool, it's a cool edit. Yeah. I'll probably throw, if it's not my background in the later one, I'll throw it in on the side. Okay, just cool. Just like as a little frame. But yeah, so like music is so subjective as you were saying the other day. And 
I think nowadays we've gotten less into like genre like music. I think with the introduction of streaming services, you don't have to, you can listen to pretty much anything. Cause back in the day, you had to, you would probably want to like a substantial amount of songs on the album before you went out and bought it. Mm-hmm. Cause there's no sense in spending like, I don't know how much an album was back then or yeah, album was back then, like maybe $20. I don't know, but you wouldn't, like I, I personally wouldn't drop $20 on an album where I liked one song. Mm-hmm. I don't know about you, but that's just my take on it. Yeah, no, I guess I've had a weird past in relationship with music in general. Cause when I was younger, like people who know me now and talk to me now would think that I was a music head ever since I was younger. But truthfully, like I was never someone who really bought CDs or bought albums yeah. when I was younger. Whereas like now in my later life, I would say like late teens, early twenties, um, I've, I would say quarantine is really what put albums into perspective for me. I was always someone who had a very short attention span. So like for literally since last year to the beginning of time, like I was someone who would listen to a song for only a certain amount of time and then I would change it and it would be one at a time. It wouldn't be a project. Whereas like with quarantine, it kind of slowed me down a lot and I was doing a lot of productive work that I needed a a soundtrack to. So I would start to put on, albums and it made me realize that these people are making cohesive projects from start to finish they're not just releasing singles so it made me appreciate albums more and so now to go off of your point yeah like i don't say that i love an album if i like one song i have to at least like a good half of the album or maybe more than that like depending on the track listing yeah that's fair but like, yeah, same thing with me. Like I've listened to a lot more albums at like since the start of this year. Like I, I always like to run through my playlist, the 15,000 plus one. I mean, it's been growing in numbers. So in the past it was less songs, but I always like to run through that because what's the point of having music in a playlist if you've never heard it before? Mm-hmm. So, but I always did that in alphabetical order. So it was like uh, Alice Cooper, uh, Alter Bridge, um, followed up by Bad Wolves, and then maybe a Miley Cyrus in there. It's, I, I'm under the theory that certain songs just appeared out of nowhere in those playlists because some of them I have no idea how they got there. Mm-hmm. But once the quarantine hit, I'm like, why not listen to full albums? Because a lot of them can tell like full stories. And a lot of, there are some instances in some albums where one song will bleed into the next one with a seamless transition. And that is just amazing when that happens. I, when I first discovered that, I'm like, this is the best sound ever. And then yeah, they kept literally. going into more and more songs. And that was epic. So yeah, uh, I'm with, I'm on the same boat as you. I listened to a lot more albums during quarantine and I've gone back now and have listened to full albums multiple times. Mm-hmm. Like, especially new ones that have come out this year, like, Five Finger Death Punches, uh, Fate, I've listened to. Shine Down's Attention to Tension, which was uh, 2018, I believe. But those, they're like some albums that never get old and you can just continuously listen to them. Oh, absolutely. And I think even with me, like, that's been a, that's been a big turn is because I never had like a super big appreciation for albums, I guess. Now that I do, I kind of look at the way that I collect records differently because I started collecting records about a year ago and I would just buy like aimlessly buy them without ever really thinking, you know, do I like this album as a whole? And so 
now in the later period of 2020 and the way that I look at albums and music, um, I've started to buy records that I'll never get sick of and, and right, my favorites. Yeah. Um, but yeah, I think that's like, I think 2020 in general has been such a big year for music, whether people realize it or not. Um, yeah, definitely. I actually just wrote an article for my internship about how artists have been a lot more vulnerable this year. And so it's been a joy listening to albums from some of my favorite artists in the way that they're kind of sharing parts of them that I don't think they ever would have if we weren't put in this situation. So in a way, I'm kind of thankful for the pandemic due to the fact that it's, it's helped me with my music career and oh, how yeah. I look at music, but also it's helped artists wear their heart on their sleeves. That um, is definitely true. Yeah. I guess in, in like in a punny kind of way, but seriously, <laughs> I mean, like it's impressive how many albums I could have named in the article that I wrote, but had to cap it off. Cause I was like, I don't want to make it too long. Yeah. <laughs> the fact that I could name more than at least 10 artists is so impressive. Cause I think it's something that we need. Oh, um, definitely. And it's, it's been such a joy listening to people's projects because they go together from start to finish as this story, even right, if yeah. the songs don't go together. Right. Do you want to name some of the artists that you're talking about? Just so yeah, 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 absolutely. Uh, so the four that I wrote about um, were, one was the 1975's Notes on a Conditional Form. Um, the reason I picked that out is, you know, they are more of a mainstream band but for the people who have been with them from the beginning their artistic journey as as musicians has been pivotal i mean they've right. been able to explore so many different sounds but something that i was so impressed with with notes in general was the fact that it was so different and something they had never really done before a lot of instrumental tracks which is something that maddie and george uh maddie the frontman and then george their producer and drummer specifically really loved. So being able to see them explore uh, a fully instrumental track, they did country, they had punk rock, they had all these kind of elements within this album, along with a track called The Birthday Party, where Maddie was able to explore his addiction that he had had for the last six or so years right. in a way that put him in a more vulnerable state than he had ever really explored it before lyrically. Really? Um, other than that, um, I had said one of my favorite artists, Sasha Sloan, she's another one. She's definitely more of like an acoustic ballad kind of sound. Um, she did a whole album called Only Child, which explored issues that had never really been talked about in music before. I mean, she talked about being an only child. She talked about, you know, eating disorders, like oh. in high school, like all this kind of stuff. And it sounds like kind of triggering topics, but when you yeah. listen to it, it's almost comforting because it's like, okay, here's someone who is so ostracized in the media who people look at as sometimes not human, that they're just like everybody else. And that's what I love about music is the sense that these people that we look up to who sometimes feel like gods are just like us and have dealt with the same issues as us. So when they are able to speak on those things, it humbles you in a way because it's like, okay, cool. I'm not alone in this. Right. A well -written, else went through it. Yeah, a well-written song about like struggles is probably some of the best music that a person could ever make. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Um, and then I think other albums, I mentioned Phoebe Bridger's Punisher. I absolutely loved that album. Um, it really painted a whole scene for me in a picture um, of my grandma's house. Uh, in a way that I didn't think could be painted. Um, so it was a very personal album to me. 
just sonically. Uh, one of my favorite bands is Laney, even though I'm not super big on their new sound that they have. I connected with their album a lot just because they spoke on things that I'm going through personally. Um, and, and a lot of, I mean, Role Model came out with one, Bryce Vince, like a lot of these different artists were able to use this time, even the neighborhood, like they were able to change their sound, but not in a negative way. They were right, able to yeah. change it by growing and also taking this time as I think everybody has to kind of reflect on how has my life been? What is the kind of person I've been? How am I treating people? What am I going through? We've been able to look in the mirror in a different way that I think benefited a lot of artists because right. they've finally been able to look in the mirror and be like, this is what I should be talking about. Let's write a song about it. Yeah. Um, and even with the people that you mentioned, you know what I mean? Like with heavier rock music or metal and stuff like that, I think people sometimes get lost in the fact that it's sometimes very loud and harsh music. Yeah but they actually can touch on some really interesting topics as well, especially Definitely. Shinedown. Yes, Shinedown is, Shinedown I got into, I want to say like last year. Mm -hmm. Like I saw a little animation pop up on YouTube for like one of their music videos for Monster. I'm like, oh, that's cool. Click on it. I'm like, wait a minute, this sounds pretty cool. So, and then I went on vacation and then I'm like, I'm going to keep listening to this. So I kept listening to that one song and I'm like, okay, I think now it's time to get into the rest of their discography. And so yeah. it all got added to the playlist. Literally. And I, it's, it's funny, like one of the things that I had seen on the questions that you sent me was just like, what music is in your playlist that would take people by surprise? And like, yeah. speaking about Shinedown, surprisingly, I grew up as like a metalhead. Like, oh, nice. I grew up, I'm an only child. I grew up with all boy cousins, pretty much, that were close to me in New Jersey. And all of them went through like the punk scene phase and like heavy metal in regards to like escape the fate right. Panic, like original panic of the disco um like avenge sevenfold shine down all these kind of people and growing up around that i was influenced which is like yeah. i look at who i am now and the way that i dress and kind of hold myself and i can see that influence coming through but yeah i mean i was big yeah. into escape the fate specifically <laughs> Yeah. Um, I was big into uh, falling in reverse, like all these different, like I'm, I'm reminiscing <laughs> like all time low, like original, like definitely more like punkish bands rather than metal. Right. But like there were a few that I could get down to a metal song from, yeah. from now and again. <laughs> and like, I still do. I still do have playlists like classic rock playlists and stuff yeah. that have such a special place in my heart um, because they were the songs that I grew up with. So yeah, yeah rem going back on songs that you like can remember from your childhood is like, uh, it's just a different experience nowadays. Yeah, ag agreed. It's strange too, because it's like, we're at that point in our lives now where we're getting older, even though we're not old. That yeah, it's don't like remind a lot of the songs, me. Like look at Panic at the Disco and stuff. Like kids nowadays, that are growing up with Panic now, right? they have no idea. Like back when Panic used to be like the garage punk band releasing music and it was kind of dirty and like grungy. Yeah. <laughs> that's what I like. That's what I remember a lot of these bands as that are now right. going yeah. more of like the pop route where I remember yeah. them as definitely more like post-wave like garage punk bands. Right, yeah. Um, like Theory the of a Dead Man. Theory of a Dead Man I've been listening to a lot. And 
they put out a new album this year and I, from like their earlier albums to this one, you can notice a total sound shift. It's, it's much more poppy. And looking back on it, I, the album they released three years ago in 2017, you could, you could hear that transition. You can hear them going a lot more, I don't want to say synthetic, because I don't know if that's a fact, but it's a lot less on that heavy guitars that they had in there in like Savages, one of their albums, and um, mm -hmm. Scars and Souvenirs. It's just a total sound shift. It's not bad. I still yeah. like it, but it's not the same as their older stuff. Yeah, I appreciate, like, being the type of music person that I am, I can appreciate growth within an artist. So, like, I right. appreciate when they're able to explore different sounds, but you know, there's always that, there's always that part of me that's going to be like, man, like your first album or like your yeah. second album. Um, but, you know, I, I appreciate them being able to do that kind of stuff and obviously having the outlet to do so. But there's a lot of bands, especially that I grew up with, that definitely sound completely different now that I'll always mainly listen to their old stuff. Um, right, yeah. But yeah, I would say I would say definitely like classic rock or like honestly soft metal and stuff like that is something within my playlist that I don't really think by looking at me you directly think that. Whereas yeah, it was something that I, I really grew up with and was heavily influenced by. That's really interesting because I like totally different. Like I wasn't much of a music person until like four three, four years ago, maybe. It was like sophomore year of high school, I think, when I like, I made a YouTube playlist of a bunch of like songs that I like. And then I heard about Spotify. I'm like, okay, this is getting better. And then I got Spotify premium and it, I'd say it's snowballed from there, but snowball implies bad things. And this has been just <laughs> great. Yeah, well, Spotify premium definitely snowballed in a good uh, way. Yeah. Like, I mean, I remember getting my first streaming service, which would have been I think I used SoundCloud for a long time and then I got into Apple Music and then now I'm in Spotify and I remember getting my first stream. Like I remember, I mean, we were, I guess, both in the kind of the age where I remember growing up and they had the iPod shuffle and like, yeah. then they had the Nano and then they had the touch. And it's like, that is one thing that I've been so grateful to have seen in my life is the evolution of how music got to what it is now. Yeah. I used um, to have my dad's old, uh, what was the one? It was the, I was like the first one, the first iPod, which didn't have a screen. It was just that circle on a rectangle. Yeah. The, the, the shuffle. Yeah. Yeah. That one. Yeah. I had that's it. It was the same like one I this had. big. Yeah. And then they came out with like the shuffle color and like, yeah. I remember getting my first Nano and I still have it. And like, looking back, like I had a Walkman when I was younger for probably about like the first five years of my life. I had like a little disc Walkman oh, cool. and I would just put the most random CDs in that and listen yeah. to it. Um, and so to see the streaming services that we have now, like the way music has improved in, I mean, good ways, there's obviously been downsides to it, right. but yeah. I'm happy with how it is now. I mean, like the instant gratification kind of sucks sometimes because that, you know, for the people like me who collect records still, you know, having vinyls and CDs is great, but a lot of these kids just want it right away. And it's like, yeah, no, you know, like it has to, you have to get that waiting process. And I think um, that's a bit of the problem too, because like nobody really releases albums nowadays. Like there are bands and artists who do, but a lot of like the mainstream music is like single, 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 single. All right, now we'll all put them into one, but it's not 
nobody anticipates the album anymore. They're just like, oh, they got a new song. Okay, give it to me. It's not yeah. that waiting, oh, I heard the single on the radio. I can't wait for this. It's, okay, they got the single out, mm, wait another month and maybe they'll have a new one. Yeah, well, that's what I was like getting at. And I'm so yeah. happy that you brought that up is like, you know, with college radio day and stuff, I was able to talk to artists. And yeah. like, there was this one guy that I interviewed who even said with how the music industry nowadays is, he's trying to go against the grain and release like four EPs for yeah, this year. Yeah, I heard that one. All in different, yeah, all in different yeah. genres. And it's like, I admired him for that, for going against the grain, but it really does show that marketing and promoting music nowadays is entirely different than it was 10 years ago, yeah, um, even five years ago. Yeah, I, I think that applies to maybe like all creative industries, marketing, just the marketing and what's popular now is just a complete 180 from what was um, there back in the day. Yeah, it's, it's crazy. And like, there's a part of me that enjoys it. Right. Um, but there also is a part of me that since I developed such a love for albums within this year, there is a part of me that's like, man, you know, it'd be nice if we stopped singles for a minute and could just release an album. Yeah. Um, and, and there's been a few artists this year which have maybe released one single before right. their album, which I think I like that better. Like if you're going to release anything, just do one or two. Right. Like a music video or something like that. But when you start putting out every song of the album and it's pretty much the fun is lost like there was a few i think role model for example like he released something not too long ago like a few weeks ago and pretty much five out of like seven of the songs had already been released and it's like it's cool to see it as a cohesive project yeah. but it's like the fun of it is different because it's like i've heard all of them i have right. two to listen to and that's it you know I, so, I, I think I have examples on like both ends of the spectrum of basically releasing one or two and then releasing the whole album. Like Bring Me the Horizon just came out last week or two weeks ago with, um, uh, what was it called? It was like Post-Human Survival or something like that. I'm probably butchering the name of it, but they only had like two singles from that. They had Parasite Eve and Teardrops are the only singles that I remember being released. And then they released the whole album. But on the other hand, there's this band called Citizen Soldier that I listen to. And I think they're releasing their entire album as singles before they actually put out the album as a thing, which is weird. That, to me, that defeats the purpose of an album. Yeah. <laughs> it really like, does. Like, it's that still nice to hear. Like, I mean, it's like you said, it's that instant gratification, which I myself am guilty of. But yeah. they're just... Like I found them through their newest singles and it's, they're really good. And like, but it does, like you said, ruin the fun of the album because it's like, okay, I've heard literally each one of these, not to say they're bad songs. I listen to them again and again. One of them is on this playlist, mm -hmm. but yeah, like it's, it's a toss up really. Yeah, absolutely. And it's, yeah, like it's almost like a love hate relationship, you know, right. I don't know. I, I, I appreciate how different we can be with music nowadays. Right. But again, like I mentioned before, that's, there's that part of me that is just like, well, how was it started in the first place? Like it was creating projects, you know? And you yeah. look back at some of the greats within history, like 
like Billy Joel, which you have mentioned here and ACDC and whatever. And like a lot of their albums I grew up on and they were yeah. albums that were supposed to be listened to as a whole, you know? Right. Um, so yeah. And I think nowadays, in the, in, especially within the late 2010s, EPs got a lot bigger because originally it was just albums. Whereas now right. artists have the option of like, oh, my album's not done yet. Here's four, four or five songs and I'll call it an EP, you know? Yeah which like I understand and sometimes it fits, but there's also that aspect of like, ah, it's different, you know, it's not, right. it's not traditional, but at the same time, I, I say I want to be traditional, but then again, I'm such a non-traditional kind of person. So it's kind of like, yeah, I know what you're saying. It's, yeah. it's, you gotta find, there's probably a healthy in between that we're yet to find. Yeah. Absolutely. Um, and you had mentioned here, like speaking about ACDC, is they're releasing their 16th studio album. Yeah. Which, bravo actually, to them. Yeah, I, I did mention this during my test, but this time it's, well, it was relevant last time, but it's relevant to the topic at hand we're discussing. And at the time that this is going live on Thursday the 12th, it'll be about, I don't know, four hours before it actually gets released, it will be released on the 13th, just a day after this goes out. So that's actually pretty cool. Uh, it's kind of actually that coincidentally worked out us recording this today and it being this week. But like you said, like you said that I said, it's their 16th studio album titled Power Up, which brings up the question, we've discussed how much music is too much for a personal playlist, but how much music is there for an artist? Like when should an artist, if at all, stop making music, stop making new music and focus on like live shows? Like I, um, like I wrote here in my outline, Billy Joel stopped making new music in 1993 uh, after his album titled The River of Dreams, I believe. Yes, his 12th album titled The River of Dreams. That is... Let me just run the numbers real quick. 27 years of no music. But in that time, he has been performing live shows. If you check out his Spotify, he's got River of Dreams, and then everything up until this point has been live albums. On the other hand, just four years ago, Elton John released his 30th studio album. That's nearly twice as many albums as ACDC has at this point. But... They were actually in a conversation, Billy Joel and Elton John. Billy Joel has said in an interview with Vulture in 2018, there are artists who continue to record because they feel that's what keeps them relevant. But if the quality of their work deteriorates, it drags down the entire catalog. Elton John would say to me, why don't you put out more problem, more albums? I would say, why don't you put out less albums? I didn't want to come out and say, you're dragging down your legacy. So even Billy Joel, uh, to an extent thinks that like at a certain point you should stop making new music if it's just there to make music. Like if you're making music because, okay, I can get more album sales about this and still stay in the media. That's not what you should be doing. You should be making music because I have so much to write about and I truly want this to be good. Yeah. I a hundred percent agree. I think where I come from with this whole topic is, um, I think an artist should stop making music when they feel that the quality of their work is deteriorating. So like what I mean by that is, for example, I'm going to mention the neighborhood again. 
they just ended their contract with Columbia Records. So they've released four albums underneath them. And they even mentioned how this may be their last studio album. And I don't know if they met with Columbia or just in general, but if they're as young as they are, and they're saying that this may be their last studio album, I give them props because as an artist, even within myself, like even with my own work, when I start to feel like I'm at a roadblock or a creative block, or maybe I'm just not in it for the right reasons anymore or doing it in a way that is, I guess, quality, like quality content, that's where I would say cut it off. Because there's plenty of artists, like, I mean, you mentioned like Billy Joel and Elton John and stuff. You mentioned these people who, yeah, I'll I'll call out Elton John as much as I love him and I love his work. There is definitely a point within his discography where sometimes I'll go through Spotify and it's like I'm scrolling forever and I'm like, dude, you have these amazing albums that were such quality pieces of work and then they kind of get lost. Um, So so I think for me, when an artist comes out with something that is not as as quality or as to their heart as it would have been years ago or something like that, I don't feel like making music anymore. You know what I mean? I feel like they should more focus on their presence and their fans and their shows, which Billy Joel, I give him props for that because he gave his work. He did what he wanted to do when he felt like he was done with music. He was like, all right, cool. Now I want to focus on creating experiences for people, which as such a big artist as him and and such a classic artist, I I find that so important because it's like, you know, people are going to listen to your music either way if they're diehard fans. So if you can create a space for them to really feel you in the music, I love that. I love that idea. And I think, of course, I think at some point, for artists to acknowledge the fact that they would rather give someone an experience than music that doesn't really mean anything, I think is very, is very important. Right. Of course it is hard though, because like, you know, that's how they make money and who's going to willingly stop their income. Like I have also written here, like, well, we were talking about like, you, you said an artist should stop making music when they feel it's no longer good. Not not to say good, but like it's no their heart's no longer as in it as they were in the past. Mm-hmm. So like, the, the, but it can be a toss up because like I said, the Rolling Stones who have been a band since 1962 have um, put out a new single or several new singles. Uh, one of them being Living in a Ghost Town and it's speculated they might have a new album coming out. Mm-hmm. The Who, a band since 1964, has put out a new album in 2019 just titled Who. And I don't know how well they performed, but there, there are two albums for bands that have been around for a long time, longer than I care to count. But on the other hand, Bruce Springsteen has just put out an album a few weeks ago uh, called Letter to You. He's currently 71 and critics were blown away. They said it was a great album by him. So. Yeah. Yes, maybe at some point an artist's catalog becomes too big to um, comprehend, but it doesn't mean they're bad at it now. They can still be making quality music. Yeah, and I think that's another thing that I can't really speak too much on the artists that we have nowadays, because like the people that 
we're kind of speaking on, uh, we're seeing it from a different point of view than our parents. Like our parents yeah. were in the positions of us back when they were younger. So it's like, you know, we're seeing these artists years after their prime, technically. I mean, you look yeah. at Kiss and all this kind of stuff, like these people had their prime 20, 30 years ago, and we're seeing their legacies last because of what they've built. So it's like, with a lot of the artists nowadays that we've spoken on um, and that are around our age, that are within the 20s and 30s range, it's going to be interesting to see what happens to them because, right. you know, we're in a position of a completely different world than our parents were in and what Billy Joel was in when he was selling records back in yeah. the 70s. So it's going to be very, very interesting to live through the next 30, 40 years and to see how these artists that we've grown up with, if they're going to last, if they're going to die yeah. out, if they're going to whatever. And also, um, you know, what's going to happen with, with music in general, you know, yeah, that's because true. With our parents growing up, they got to a point where they saw it change, whereas we're the most advanced in music we've ever been, you know, with technology right. and sh like stage design, sound design. So um, yeah, they've it's got bands got gimmicks going out all over the place for during yeah. their shows. They've got blow ups, explosions, pyrotechnic lights. It's like I went to a Hailstorm, Motionless and White and Alice Cooper concert. And during like the Hailstorm set, they had intricate light shows for each one of their shows. And like, I don't know if the technology was even at that point back then. Like mm -hmm. they could probably, they probably had some sort of special effects, but I don't know to what scale they had it because I didn't exist in that time. Yeah, or how safe it was. I kind of think that about too. that sometimes. Like you think about Kiss and how they've been doing the pyrotechnics and stuff yeah. for years. And it's like, it's safe now, but back in the 60s and 70s or even 80s, like how safe was it to just blow something up on the stage, yeah. have people on barricade, you know? Um, but yeah, I mean, when I had my show, when I had my radio show last year, that was a topic that was brought up on one of my episodes is who do you think is going to last? And it's like, I don't know. Cause it, it, think about it back in our parents and grandparents days, like David Bowie could have been super cool and different. But I don't think anybody knew that ACDC, Billy Joel, Steve Miller Band, like all these people were going to be legends, you know? Yeah. So in our age of music, that's going to be so fascinating when we turn 40, 50 years old, have well families of our own, yeah. and to see who's still kind of kicking. Um, because yes, like they make money from albums, but with the age that we live in with music, there's a lot of ways that artists are able to make money nowadays that they yeah. weren't able to 30, 40 years ago. So I don't know, like it's, it's a hard thing to, to estimate, but it's an exciting thing. Right. Um, which is why I'm trying to collect vinyls and stuff now, because God forbid something ever happens to the streaming services. You know, it's even like saving something on a computer or on a hard drive. Like at any point, God forbid those things break or whatever. I want to be able to have those physical copies. Yeah, that is true. I never yeah. thought about that. Oh, okay. Yeah. I got to do a lot of album buying. I'm like, wait, ah, oh, because <laughs> I'm so codependent on my streaming services. Yeah. So I've been trying to like accumulate my favorite albums. Yeah, that makes sense. Like you were saying, like there are multiple, there are more ways for bands to get income nowadays. An example that I can think of right now is Bad Wolves. Like you can get money from albums, you can get money from live shows, all that, but 
they actually have a Patreon for their fans that I don't know. It's like maybe 10 bucks a month. I don't really know how much Patreon works. I haven't used it at all, but I know they put out an album last year and on their Patreon, they have 20 additional songs for that album that is not released publicly. It's only for Patreon supporters. And I think that like, yeah, okay. There's some people who might be missing out on that. Some people who don't have that money maybe, but I think that's a great way to like make money in case something goes wrong. Like a pandemic shuts down your live shows. They still have that income from the Patreons and they're giving something back to them. They're yeah. giving them exclusive, 20 exclusive songs, which yeah. I can understand like four or five maybe, but that's almost two albums worth of new content. Mm -hmm. Well, and that's the impressive thing is you think about how money is made, especially like, I think everybody, everything's been kind of put on the forefront with this pandemic is how artists are making money and how they're able to adapt, especially as musicians, because they're so used to being live. So what I've noticed is with, uh, with certain musicians and artists and stuff, um, merchandise, creating new merchandise to sell streaming services have been a massive help because right. just like YouTube, when you put out a music video or you put out something on Spotify, all of those streams, those millions of streams add up to money and you get yeah. paid for that. So it's like, that's been the nice part of technology. And another thing we've kind of adapted to is virtual concerts. So depending on who's running the concert, uh, people are still paying for tickets. I mean, yeah. I got guest listed for something a few weeks ago, but the concert that I was guest listed at, people were buying tickets too. Right. And yeah it's a different experience and not necessarily one that I love, but that's a good thing at least is I can imagine on the artist part, like as a fan and someone who's not a musician themselves, um, live music is everything. Whereas right. from a musician's point of view, yes, live music is important and I'm sure so, so important, but also just being able to share your music and having a platform to be able to still present it in, right. in time of a pandemic is so important. Um, and yeah, I mean, like, it's been impressive to see how we've adapted um, in regards to uh, the coronavirus and, and the lockdown and all this kind of stuff. And I've been really proud of the ways that artists have still been able to connect with their fans, like a lot of uh, like Twitch, for example, like any gamers that know that platform or people who just go on Twitch, it's been a great platform because a lot of artists have literally used their free time to just go on lives and speak to their fans. Like uh, I'll, I'll mention Role Model again. He did something for two or three weeks leading up to his album where every, every other day he would do like a coffee run and he would do a live on Instagram and he would talk to his fans. And like, oh, cool. that's something that I think beforehand, not that we weren't caring for the people who listen to our music, but I don't right. think artists kind of put in perspective how important those relationships were right. and are until you're put in the position where you can't see those people every weekend or every night. Right. Yeah. Um, so it's been, that's been a cool aspect is to see how artists can get in touch with the people who got them there, you know, and yeah. who are listening to their music and it feels a lot more personable. I feel like music sonically, lyrically, but also personally with the artist has felt a lot more intimate than it used to be. Yeah. Um, which I've, which I've liked a lot. 
Yeah, that's true. I think like meeting an artist, like not so much as an, I'm a huge fan. Can you sign this for me? But like meeting an artist and like having a conversation to them, however short that conversation may be, because I'm sure they're busy people. But I think that would be completely different from listening to their music. No, I agree. And it's, yeah, it's, I don't know. Like, I can't speak on behalf of a lot of the artists because I'm not, like I said before, I'm not a musician, but it's, I can imagine it's just as frustrating for them to be in the position of not being able to have people in front of you and touch people and everything, you know? Like, I was talking to a friend of mine on my podcast a few weeks ago about how live music can never die because that's, that's the one night, the one experience where, you know, even though I'm, I want to get into music and I want to do these things, there are certain artists that I love that I may never cross paths with who might have right. changed my life. So it's like concerts and festivals and that kind of stuff are so important because for these people, unlike me who are getting into music, who may be working in industries that they may never be able to meet these people, that is their one chance, that one night, that one weekend, that those few concerts where they're able to be in that same room, that same space with this person that has had such a silent conversation with them in their right. bedroom, in their car, in their bath, in their, their weddings, and be able to have that night of connection and be able to right. be like, let out all the emotions and, you know, scream back the lyrics and be able to get everything out and have someone up there on stage reciprocating that and so I love live music for that and like I went to a concert oh it was probably in November or October of last year where the singer stopped in like midway through the set and just was like she put in perspective that concert she was like you guys are all here there's like hundreds of you here that took one night out of your day or your week to come and see me and you i'm sure have forgot all your problems you aren't thinking of anything outside this room right now and hearing that it really puts in perspective that yeah like when i go to a concert you don't realize it in the moment but you're not thinking of anything else but being in that moment and like being beside these complete strangers who feel like friends or feel like family because you're all singing the same lyrics and you're all focusing on the same thing. And that is what I love about live music and and artists in general. Um, So yeah, like that's been a downside to this pandemic is wanting to get back to that feeling of, of release and emotion and, I'm sure for plenty of artists, you know, they've been missing out on that too. Um, Cause that's their form of therapy. So. Yeah. I've never, I, I haven't been to many concerts, much less like concerts of bands. I've like really been to like my all time, like Alice Cooper has been my favorite artist for a couple of years now. And I've gone to see him twice. And that is such a different experience then let's say a concert I went to that had um, Victoria Justice. Not to say Victoria Justice isn't good. She had a great music career, but like there, there, Alice Cooper had held something more special to me. And I enjoyed both of them, but there was something about that Alice Cooper concert that was like, 
I know these songs. I know their meanings. I know what his, I know his history of the mm -hmm. lead singer. I know what he's been through and I can feel that connection. Then on the other hand, I did get to see Victoria Justice backstage. I got to go on her tour bus. And the only thing I really remember that is I stole some Hershey Kisses from her. So there's <laughs> a bit. <laughs> but yeah, there's a bit of a, like, concerts can be great, but I think it depends on how you feel about the artist that can really alter how you feel. Yeah. No, absolutely. And I don't know, like, that's some, like, being, and I've mentioned this a few times, but I'm so much more in tune with music now, I think especially because I'm a lot more in tune with myself. Um, and I think they both kind of correlate with each other. Um, I think music, whether we realize it or not, is it correlates a lot with our emotions and what we're right. going through and how we listen to it. And um, yeah, like I think speaking on Alice Cooper and stuff like that, that's a big thing as well with a lot of these instant artists and these people who are just overnight sensations and stuff is getting to know them, you know, like, right. A lot of the artists, pretty much all of my favorite artists, I have watched their interviews, I have been to their concerts, I have done a lot of research on them because when I get to know you as a person and then listen to your music, it makes it so much more personable. Right. Um, and so, for example, like I mentioned earlier, Sasha Sloan, she's someone who has been very vocal about struggling with anxiety and depression and whatever, and it's like, she does that on her free time and then correlates it within her music. So it's like you hear her speak on it. And then when she's able to put that into a sonic, you know, part, it's, right. it's interesting because you experience it in two different ways. So like, for example, one of my favorite artists is Joan Jett. I mean, that woman raised me. Like I literally lived off her records, how I dress, how I act, how I hold myself has a very, very heavy influence off of her. And that came from not only listening to her music, but learning about her. Um, right. I watched her documentary. I have her book. Literally, I'm looking at it right now. And it's like oh, cool. from reading about her and watching her and hearing it from her mouth and that kind of stuff, it, it connects you with them. Again, I may never meet her, but it's like I feel somewhat in depth to you. Yeah. <laughs> and so I can imagine with your favorite artists and stuff, especially Alice Cooper, like doing research on them there's that personal connection. Um, yeah. And yeah, and, and I think it correlates with concerts and how you display yourself on stage and like right. um, Alice Cooper in general. Like I remember doing such a research thing about him in my music history class and like some of the things that that man did that paved the way for so many artists nowadays yeah, I know. is crazy. And some kids wouldn't even know that. Right. Um, so yeah, yeah, I get what you mean. Yeah, Lizzie Hale from Hailstorm at that concert that um, Alice Cooper, Motionless and White and Hailstorm were at, during her portion of the concert, she went on a whole thing how like one of her first sleepovers, she bought an Alice Cooper CD, which obviously is not something you really do like naturally, but like mm -hmm. she mentioned how like Alice Cooper inspired her and her band and like there wouldn't be all these songs about being different and being yourself if it wasn't for him yeah literally it's yeah. it's it's so i don't know it's it's so interesting like it's yeah. it's a conversation you could have for so long but you really have to look at and i think 
you know, I took a music history class, like I mentioned, uh, two years ago, I think it was my sophomore year. And it's, it's the whole reason that I'm doing what I'm doing. Um, but it was so interesting to be able to examine and analyze music like we right. did in that class, because a lot of people don't realize that rock and roll and all these genres and all these sounds came from someone at some point. And yeah. I remember when the whole Black Lives Matter movement was going on, people started to focus in on the fact that rock and roll started with, with people of color. And right. um, it was so interesting because we examined, like we started in the forties and we went to the two thousands and we analyzed how music affected the economy, society, uh, you know, movements within, uh, whether it was civil rights or, you know, hippie movement and all this kind of stuff. And like music pretty much was the start to why people wanted change. And yeah. so all these artists that are classics nowadays, people don't realize how much they paved the way. Like, um, especially Alice Cooper for metal bands nowadays, you know what yeah. I mean? Like unconsciously metal bands, but it's like, you look at a lot of the gore and all this kind of stuff that they kind of bring. And you kind of look at Alice Cooper and you're like, he was, he yeah. was the guy, he was the guy who did this same with kiss. And like, I think it's so important as music lovers and whoever is listening to this um, and whoever wants to get into music to educate yourself and to have artists who are not modern, you know, um, and to recognize sounds and, and just correlate that with some of the stuff that you listen to nowadays. Um, to know the pioneers, I guess, is the right. best way. Yeah, know where, like, your favorite artists came from. Know their influences. And, it like, I want to try and get into music. I've been writing songs uh, in my free time when I can because I'm not – I'm trying to learn instruments, but it's hard to, like, find the time and the motivation. But I can – I've been writing songs for, like, the past year trying to get – but I'm listening to all these bands that I like. I'm – gathering influences from them to see how they craft their lyrics, their melodies. And it's weird how different people think, even in the same genre, like rock and roll now is completely different from how it was back then. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. And that's ah, like, it's such a hard genre to kind of examine um because for me like rock and roll will always be strictly like classic <laughs> classic rock yeah. like i think the modern take on rock as much as you want to have it be what it used to be it's not it's definitely its name like on spotify they have uh the new sounds of rock or something like that and it's just it modern rock is modern rock you know what i mean right. it's not classic rock and it's called that for a reason and i think I enjoy listening to Led Zeppelin and um, Steve Miller Band and, and ACDC and Guns N' Roses and all these people much more because for me, that is rock and roll to me, you know? Yeah. Um, and I separate that from metal, but like, you know, if I'm going to listen to a good rock album, like I go to someone in the 70s or 80s. Right. Um, because to me, that's just when it was what it was. It was... You know, they didn't have all these crazy synthesizers and beat pads and all this kind of stuff to create. It was purely people just playing instruments. Right. Um, yeah. And I think rock and roll in general, from the beginning, its origins, that's what it was, is picking up a guitar and just being as raw as possible. Yeah. Um, 
whether it be vocally or your presence on stage and you look at some of the greats like Fleetwood Mac and, and um, even the people like Chuck Berry and all these people who started it, it was just them up on a stage right. creating music. Um, and I think Pink Floyd was really the first band to come along that was like, hey, let's add synthesizers. Or like, let's add sounds. Yeah. But the way they did it was still rock and roll, you know? Right, yeah. And then people kind of took it out of hand. And not that yeah. it's a bad thing, <laughs> but now we're, we're here where we are today. Yes, seriously, yeah. Um, and I do appreciate modern rock in some sense. There's certain bands. Obviously, you look at, People we were talking about earlier, like Panic at the Disco and All Time right. Low and a lot of these punk bands, they created a genre from rock and roll that was different, but still original. Um, whereas nowadays, the only thing that I guess I don't really like about modern rock is, you know, I get we're always improving, but it's like they add too much pop to it nowadays. Yeah. I, I'm like, ah, like, I don't know, you know, like. Um, it's good, but. Eh. Yeah, it's good, but, like, I didn't really need that, like, weird loop sound in the background, yeah. you know, or, like, that auto-tune vocal or something right. like that. Um, but there's a ton of artists that are that are really trying to pave the way for, for punk and rock, and I think, uh, you know, Youngblood and Machine Gun Kelly and those kind of people, like, Machine Gun Kelly had just released, I'm not a huge fan of his, but I know that he released an album probably a month or so ago that... Right really connected back into his punk rock genre and his roots. And I appreciated that because I was like, okay, cool. Here's someone who has been on pop songs. He's been on R&B songs. He's been around in different genres. Right. But his core project, he was able to bring the sound of rock back. Yeah. Um, and, and I like seeing that within these modern artists. Cause it's like, cool. You know, you were so influenced by the same people that we're talking about let's hear that in your music. And I think he's a great example of someone who took Alice Cooper and took ACDC and all these people and showed that with his new project. So right. I liked that a lot. De definitely something to think about. But as we're nearing the end, um, there's this thing I did during my DJ test that I kind of want to keep uh, constant throughout the end of every show. It's um, last time it was called thing of the week, but after more thought, I thought to make it a bit more, you know, uh, fitting with the whole kingpin theme I'm going with. So instead of a thing of the week, it's going to be called a royalty recommends, just because the alliteration works. But basically, at the end of every episode, I, myself, and my guests will uh, recommend something uh, in, in the past week that we really enjoy. Okay. So uh, if you want to go first while I spend time thinking, because I did not prepare for this one. Yeah, no, absolutely. Um, man, I actually just created a playlist that I'm going to be changing every so often. Um, a, that's going to be new music I'm listening to. Um, an album that I really enjoyed, uh, not by a favorite artist of mine, Sam Smith, um, who everybody kind of knows him for a lot of his like mainstream top yeah. 40 records. He released an album called Love Goes, uh, I think the end of, uh, the end of October. And I listened to it the other day, just as like, okay, cool. Here's a new album. Let me check it out. And I was super impressed. So I would really recommend his new album if you want something that's different than what he's done before. And honestly, not as mainstream. It's definitely more vulnerable um, and definitely more of a, uh, 
interesting sound from from someone who's a very pop artist oh nice i would recommend i've been playing i, w I was at a um friend's house the other week and we were playing um jack the jackbox games like the drawful games and they had just released a the the newest one jackbox 7 and I'm always one to recommend the Jackpot games. I think they're great party games. And depending on who you play with, it could you could be rolling on the floor laughing for hours. So I guess I would recommend Jackbox 7. I mean, they have Quiplash 3, which I think is arguably the best game that Jackbox has ever put out. I love Jackbox. Yeah. <laughs> I gotta say, that was like my coping mechanism in quarantine. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, pl just playing it with radio people last year in my first year of college was just just a great time one of the best memories i had so definitely jackbox seven well yeah. jackbox as a whole that brings us to the first that brings us to the end of the first episode of king's chaos thank you all so much for listening or watching depending on where you're seeing this thank you madison for joining me and i hope everybody has a great week i will see you in approximately seven days Awesome. Bye. Thanks so much for having me.